0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at org. And now, this week's message. You know, as I watched that video, I realized it doesn't make any difference what your salary is. There's a man who makes millions every year. Very well known. Uh, we're, most of us are going to go home and watch him uh, perform on, uh, on TV today and uh, but it doesn't make a difference what your salary is. Uncertainty in life is an inescapable weight. I mean, he shared when he got injured as he was quarterbacking the, the uh, San Diego Chargers. He thought it would... Yeah, there, okay, there's somebody from San Diego. <laughs> he figured it was the worst thing that could have happened to him at the worst time in his life. And yet a year later, looking back he realized it probably was the best thing that happened to him. I'm sure there are other things that have happened to Drew Brees that he thought, this is bad, and a year later he looked back at it and he said, yep, it's still bad. (laughs) We'll have those too, right? Uncertainty is that inescapable weight in life, and it doesn't make any difference who you are. You're going to encounter that weight, that potential heaviness, Over and over and over again in life, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So I want to invite you along on that journey. I want to welcome you. I know that many of you are here for the very first time this morning, and I want to give a very special welcome to you. My name is Ron. I'm one of the pastoral staff here at New Life, and over the next few minutes, I'm going to be sharing with you teaching from the Bible, which is God's word. And I have, um, I have a little warning to give you. It's, uh, it's uh, well. Oftentimes, when people come here, whether they're here for the first time or they've been here fifty times before, it doesn't make any difference. On the way out the door, they go, "Boy, pastor, it's like you lived in my house this week. How did you do that? Are you sure you didn't preach that sermon just for me?" Okay, I want you to know. You know, they're thinking, "Like, do I have a target here? What's the deal?" Um, I want you to know that I don't really have anything to do with that. That's God, and it's my hope that you came to church today to connect with God. That's why we're all here. Now here's the deal about God. God knows you way better than I do. I could live in your house all week and not know you as well as God does. So if you thought that I put this sermon, you know, just kind of aimed it at you, no. Now God's not going to shoot you with a sermon, I can tell you that. But I can tell you that he has a wonderful message in the sermon for you. And at some points, that message is going to be inspiring and very encouraging. And at other points, depending upon what's going on in your life, you may have a tendency to feel guilty. That's normal. All of us do that. Because if we never feel guilty, we never change. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Even though we don't like the feeling of guilt. Oftentimes, it motivates us to change. So whatever happens in your life, I just want to invite you along on the journey this morning. The more that you fully engage, the more you give God the opportunity to take you wherever you are today and move you forward in life, and especially as, as we deal with the subject of uncertainty. A couple more things. Unless you were have been under a rock for the last several months, today is What? Super Bowl Sunday, yeah, yeah. I'm going to watch the game, eat some chips, have some fun, right? It'll be a whole lot of fun. And you know, I figured out that God doesn't care who wins. I I know there are Christians on both sides. He probably really doesn't care. We're going to have a whole lot of fun, and hopefully we're going to get together as families. But this is an important Sunday for another reason as well. And uh, probably won't make the national... No, I can tell you it won't make the national news. But it's a very, very important Sunday for this church. Because 12 years ago today, the first Sunday in February, we had a grand opening service and New Life got started. That's a pretty cool thing, isn't it? <clears throat> and I'd like for you to pray with me. If you would, please, Father... As we look back over 12 years, but well, we are thankful that every time we show up, you're already here. And you've met us Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And uh, Father, we thank you for every life that you have changed through this church. Every single person who kind of came through the doors on a Sunday morning, a little bit afraid, a little bit uncertain about what they were going to encounter Um, many expecting to be bored, many expecting uh, somehow to be scolded or whatever else. And they came and they found you. They found the wonderful message that you offer forgiveness and life change through your son, Jesus. And they found people who genuinely cared. And we care because you've changed our lives and you've taught us how to care. So, Father, we thank you for the journey, and and even as we take our focus from looking back and look into the future, we recognize that really the best days for this church are ahead of it, that you have so many more lives you want to change, including those of us sitting here this morning. Lord, would you help us to walk with you on that great journey? I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 On the inside of your program, you will find uh, a bunch of notes this morning. So grab, there's a, you should find a full sheet of paper folded in half. And so you're going to have to listen in a hurry, and I'm going to have to talk in a hurry. We're going to do a little series review. This is the second sermon in a sermon series um, that we're doing called Unchained. We're talking about uh, learning how to, to cut loose the links of, of a chain that will, that will just drag us down in life. And it's all based out of a passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 12. So let's go straight to that and let me read it to you. Here it is. Since we are surrounded by a, such a huge crowd of witnesses in, to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Now we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people then you won't become weary and give up. You know, just kind of cutting straight to the core, the scene there is a great amphitheater that's a track and field amphitheater. And down on the track, there's a race going on. It is the race of life. Up in the stands, there are spectators. But as we learned last week, these are spectators without tickets. These are people who have completed the race, down on, on the race, there's a course that's marked out for each participant. Some of those people are running the course marked out for them. Others are not running the course marked out for them. Some are being successful in the race of life. Others are failing miserably. We also noted the author uh, points our attention to the fact that the, that the runners have weights, and the weights slow them down. And the idea in order to be victorious and successful in the race of life is to learn how to strip off those weights and cast them aside. But there were also sins that that tripped them up. And we noted that the weights will slow us down, but the sins will take us out of the race. And uh, so that's the setting. And uh, if you weren't here last Sunday, I just want to encourage you, go to our website, pull up the podcast, and listen to it. It's a pretty easy thing. Just go to the part that says a sermon podcast, find last week's date, which would be January 31st, double click on it in about 30 seconds, uh, through the miracle of technology, I'll start talking to you. So there you go. That's as easy as as it can be. If you have an iPod, you can download it on your iPod. If you have an MP3 player, you can do that as well. But whatever, if you weren't here last week, uh, that's the context for what I'm going to say to you today. And so um, let's go straight to the weight of uncertainty, because that's what we want to talk about today. It is inescapable in life. The words of King Solomon, one of Israel's most famous kings. Take a look. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth. Many of us can relate to that, right? Now going on, he said, for I must leave to others everything I have earned And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? You think Solomon's dealing with a little uncertainty here? Yeah. Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill and then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't even worked for it. This too is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is meaningless. Does he sound a little conflicted? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You ever had any of those thoughts? I'll guarantee if you've never had those thoughts, it's only because you're not old enough to have them yet. You live long enough, you're going to get every one of those thoughts. Because that's how life is. It has that uncertainty about it. None of us knows what tomorrow is going to bring. And when you stop and think about it, life begins in uncertainty. Before you were ever born, your parents were uncertain during pregnancy. They were uncertain if they were going to get pregnant. And then when they got pregnant, they were uncertain they were going to stay pregnant. Right? And then they went through pregnancy and they had all these uncertainties about that day of birth. And, and even when you were born, the, your parents sort of held their breath until you took your first one. Because they were uncertain whether you would, hoping that you would. And when you cried, they breathed a sigh of relief. And your mother was uncertain, if you were the firstborn, your mother was uncertain about the whole nursing thing, right? Right? How's that going to work? And, and, and I know that your dad was uncertain about how even to hold you. You ever watch a newborn dad? Got the kid out here. Has no idea. Just thinking. I just hope I don't drop it. Yeah, it's just, and it just goes that way. Uncertain about parenting. Uncertain about training your children. Uncertain about how your children are going to respond to that training. And of course, when they get to be pre-teens, you get less uncertain, right? And when your daughter starts asking you about dating, you get really uncertain. Or maybe you get really certain at that point. I don't know how that works, all right? But just it just goes on and on and on in life. Now, I want to give you a key principle. It's very important for you to know and understand. If we don't learn how to properly deal with uncertainty it becomes a weight and that weight will burden us and for some of us it can even paralyze us in the stream of life many of you in the audience I know and I know that there's a significant portion of the people sitting in our audience this morning right here, who are part of this church, part of this community of faith, and you really struggle with that. And to some degree, all of us do. Wow. So now I want to give you a truth. The truth is, what's so dangerous about uncertainty is this. It opens the door in our lives to three sins. Now, uncertainty itself is not a sin. You don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what the next few hours hold. I know what I hope they hold, but the truth is, I told you I was going to eat some chips. I might not have another chip in the rest of my life. I don't know that. Yeah. So uncertainty is not. That's not a sin. But I'll tell you there that there are some sins that it opens us up to, okay? And here are the sins that it most commonly opens us up to. You can see them up here. Anxiety, fear, and doubt. And we're going to talk about each one of those uh, on its own. I want to talk to you a little bit about anxiety. There's a good old-fashioned word for anxiety. What is it? Worry. Some of you are worried. You might not say the right word. Yeah, it's worry. I want to tell you something about worry. You know what worry is? Worry is that thing that gives you a knot in your stomach, right? Has a little nausea connected with it. Worry is that thing that causes you to bite your fingernails even when you don't have any, right? Or if you're a lady, to chew the fingernail polish off the fingernails that someone glued on that aren't yours anyway, right? (laughs) Right? Never been a lady, but I'm guessing that's true, all right? Yeah, worry is that thing that, that it gnaws away. It eats at you. It makes it difficult for you to relax. It makes it hard for you to sleep. You know, I've shared with you that oftentimes when I'm going to preach on something, that I get tested by it during the week. I think, I don't know if that's God or Satan. I haven't figured that out yet, all right? It might be both. But earlier this week, I, I was at home, and Monica said, how are you doing? And I said, I'm okay. And she goes, you're not smiling. And I said, yeah. She said, I want you to list for me five reasons that you have to be happy. And I said, okay. Number one, and there was a big long pause. I got to about two. And I realized, oh my goodness. I was in the very place that I was going to be talking about today. I was looking Ahead, and I was worried about certain things in life. I'm not usually the kind of guy that worries out loud. I know there are some of us who worry out loud. And early on in our marriage, my wife was pretty sure I never worried. And so we would have a running dialogue sometimes when she would. Now, Monica's a natural worrier, and if you know Monica, you know that. Okay? And early on in our marriage, I can think of two different conversations that we would have that would sort of periodically surface, the one far more than the other, and that is we would be encountering something, and I could tell Monica was worried, and I would put my arm around her, and I would say, Dear, on this one, how about if we just let me worry about this one? And she would look at me and say, I know you. If I let you worry, no one will worry about this. (laughs) So she was pretty sure that I never worried, right? But the capper was one night, we were laying in bed, and... And I could tell. She was just kind of tossing and so forth. And I said, dear, are you okay? And she said, well, not really. She says, I'm having trouble going to sleep. And I said, well, yeah, I noticed that. And I said, what's up? She goes, I know I'm supposed to be worried about something, but I can't remember what it is. (laughs) Yeah. That's worry right there, okay? Now I want to tell you some other things about worry okay? It's important that you understand, it's important that I understand that worry is a choice. Most people who worry, and even, even me, when, when I tend to find myself in that worried spot, I tend to feel like I have no choice. But the truth is, there's no one who puts a gun to my head and says, you're going to worry or I'll shoot. It is a choice. And friends, if you, don't, if you don't think it's a choice, then there's no way out for you. It's not until you realize that you're the one who's choosing to worry, that, you, that, that there's ever any way out for you. Third thing I want to say to you about worry is it's natural. You might not be a natural worrier. I'm not a natural worrier, but I can tell you, everyone finds it natural to worry under certain circumstances. It just is natural to the human spirit. But worry is worthless. Did you know that? It's worthless for two reasons. Number one, most of the things that you and I worry about never come to pass. Isn't that true? And not one of them can you point to and say, it's a good thing I worried about that because it scared it off. (laughs) No, it wouldn't have happened anyway. Yeah, because worry doesn't change anything except how you and I feel. It does change that. But it doesn't actually change any of the events of life. But by far the most important thing I could say to you about worry, it's important that you and I understand that worry or anxiety is actually a sin. Now, that got real serious, didn't it? But it's a sin. I want you to see what Jesus said. Listen to his words. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Why? Well, whether you have enough food or enough drink or enough clothes to wear. Do we worry about that? You know what the average budget is for the American family when it comes to things they eat, things they drink, and what they wear? It's more than most people in the world have for income, for everything. It's true. It's the little stuff. He says, can all your worries, What? Add one single moment to your life. You know, the interesting thing is worry will never add to your life, but can take away. It sure can. So that's worry. That's anxiety. I want, I want us to pause just for a moment. And you have room, plenty of room in the margin. So remember last week we prayed that we would take an honest inventory? So right now, I, I want us to pause and, and I want you to write If there's anything in your life that you're carrying any anxiety about, any worry about, any stress, I want you to take a moment and write it in the margin so you can pray about that later on this week as I show you how to do that later in the message. Some of us who are the more natural warriors could write for quite a while, couldn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about what what worry or anxiety leads to, because that's equally important. You see, if you allow anxiety to grow in your life, or worse yet, if you feed it, okay, here's what happens. It gives birth to something that's even worse. And here's what it gives birth to. It gives birth to fear. Now, what kind of fear are we talking about here? Well, let me tell you a little story. One of my favorite movies, uh, maybe because my son-in-law is full-blooded Greek, one of my son-in-laws, and uh, he called me up one day when that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, came out and said, you got to go rent this, or you got to go to the movie theater and see this, and then you will understand my family, all right? So he, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. And the father in that movie is known for two things, Windex, correct? And it's known for every word has a Greek origin, right? He's come from the Greek word, right? Remember, he's taking the kids to school and one of them says, I know a word that doesn't come from the Greek, kimono. Remember what he says? Ah, kimono. He's come from the Greek word kimon, which means winter. And what you wear in the winter, kimono. Right? Yeah, for sure. Now, you might be surprised to know that a big portion of the Bible was originally written in Greek. Now, here's where the Greek lesson becomes practical to you and me. When you pick up your Bible and you read the word fear in the Bible. Okay? That that word fear, in the original Greek language, is the word phobo, from which we get what? Phobia. Wow. Now, that's the kind of, of fear that we're talking about. If we allow anxiety to grow in our lives, it gives birth to phobias, and I'm not talking about the kind of phobias where you're afraid to get up on a ladder or if you're, if you're a lady, you get scared on high heels. That's not what I'm talking about, all right? I'm talking about the kind of phobias that, that, that generate real trust issues in your life. Trust issues that prevent you from developing deep relationships and force you to have only surface relationships. And trust issues that develop in your life in such a way that you can't take any risks, any real risks, and you're afraid to change, or you hate change, or you fear change. And you know, if those phobias grow big enough, they make you stuck in life right where you are. Now, if you stop and think about it, Maybe you've been at a place like that in your life. But for sure, you know people who are like that. Now, friends, that kind of fear is also a sin. Take a look at what Paul wrote to Timothy. God has not given us a spirit of fear. I want you to read that part of it out loud with me. Would you read it out loud? Ready? Let's read. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if you have a spirit of fear in your life and you're afraid and you're afraid to take risks and you keep people at arm's length because you're afraid to invite them in to your life and to, and to develop open and deep and vulnerable relationships, where did you get that spirit? Well, where, I know where you didn't get it. You, that doesn't come from God. God didn't give us the spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. Wow. So there's fear. Let's talk about what fear gives birth to. Because if you let anxiety grow and develop till it's full grown, it gives birth to fear. And if you let fear grow and develop until it gets full grown, it gives birth to a thing called doubt. And You go, whoa, wait a minute, Pastor. I have doubts. Am I really in trouble? Well, let's talk about the kind of doubts that we're talking about here. Okay, And that is, eventually you will begin to doubt God's plan in your life. I can't tell you how many Christian people have come into my office over the years and said, Pastor, I'm beginning to have real doubts about God. Wow. You've been a Christian for years and now you're beginning to doubt God. Why? Well, it wasn't they woke up that morning and decided, I think I'll question God. No, that was something that had been growing into their in their lives for a long time. And when you start tracing it back, almost always it gets to an unresolved issue. And the unresolved issue is something they have been stewing about. And the more that they have allowed themselves to stew about it, the more they have found themselves getting into a position of questioning God. It's sort of a, I question God's plan, because it's not working out the way I want it to work out. And if I give place to that thought in my life, then pretty soon I begin to question whether God cares. And if I give place to that thought in my life, then pretty soon I begin to question if God exists. And by the way, when you get to a point where you're pretty sure God doesn't exist, that's very, very, very dangerous spiritual ground, right? Yeah, because now you're all alone in this world. And you've rejected the only one who actually has a real plan for your life, who actually cares for you, and who actually exists for eternity. This kind of doubt is debilitating and destructive. So guess what? We aren't the first people who struggle with that. Look what Jesus said to his own 12 followers. You have so little what? Faith. Why? Why? Do you doubt me? Wow. So there's fear, anxiety, and doubt. Now, let me, uh, as we transition into, okay, what can we do about this? Now that we've looked inside, I want us to pause uh, one more time and let's take inventory because I want you to take inventory about the things that you are fearful of and I want you to take inventory of any possible doubts that you have in questioning God's plan for your life, where you are right now, and how you think it may or may not be working out, questioning whether God cares for you, and questioning even whether He exists. So let's do that before we move on. Last week I indicated that because weights are not sins, they have to be dealt with differently than sins. And I gave the illustration about going to the doctor, and I had a viral infection, and I wanted some antibiotics, and the doctor said, you know, I could give you antibiotics, but because what you have is generated by a virus, the antibiotics will just wave at the viruses on the way by. There's not going to be any battle in there because it won't treat that, and and we talked about the fact that weights, because they're not sinful, the way to deal with weights is through release, and I want to draw you a chart this morning. And there's, I left room in your notes for you, for you to draw this chart as well. So if you could think of a, of a path in life, and this is the fork in the road, right? The proverbial, proverbial fork in the road, all right? And everybody remembers what Yogi Berra said about when you come to a fork in the road, right? Take it, okay? So there you go. As you go through life, uncertainty is something that you're going to have. So so you can write uncertainty down here because that's what you're going to inherit in life. It just happens. The question is, when you get to the fork in the road, what are you going to do with uncertainty? It's a weight. So on this side, you can carry it or... On this side, you can release it. Those are the only two choices you have in life. You either carry it or you release it. Now, God in His Word, take a look at what, it, what, what Peter wrote to the people in First Peter chapter, chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. He says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time doing what? Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. So I guess if we wanted to talk about it in those terms, you could carry it or you could cast it, right? That's the idea. On this side, you carry it on your own. If you carry it on your own, what do you get? Well, we already saw that. You get anxiety. You, you let that grow for a little while and you get fear and you let that grow for a while And you get down Because that's exactly where it leads if you carry it on your own. However, if you release it, you get freedom. Because when you cast off a weight, it feels better, right? When you're carrying anything that's heavy, when you set it down, how do you feel? Better. Yeah, lighter. Yeah, you get a freedom. That freedom leads to a thing called peace. Because when you're not worried, and you're not anxious, and you're not fearful, and you're not doubting, there's a sense of peace in knowing that I can trust Christ with my life. I can trust him with everything that's going on. Go back to the video that we saw earlier. Here's Drew Brees. He's a quarterback. He makes his living by throwing footballs and throwing them to accurately at the right time. He gets injured during his contract year and, and um, boy, that's the time you want to prove your worth. And he's thinking, a worse thing could not have happened to me, a quarterback, and at this time, and he gets traded to whom? The New, Lord, the New Orleans Aints. That's what they were at that time, right? That's what, everybody, that's what they were laughingly called on Sports Center. Why? Because they couldn't, they couldn't beat anybody. I mean, for, for a quarterback, that was the sentence of death. It just couldn't have been worse. And yet, as he learned to trust Christ with it, he began to experience a freedom and a peace. And guess what? In the end, it led to confidence. I want you to look at at this little chart and look at the exact opposites. On this side, you have anxiety. What do you have over here? Freedom. On this side, you have fear. What do you have over here? peace. On this side you have doubt, and what do you have over here? Now here's the amazing thing. Does the person on this side know more, any more about the future than the person on that side? No. No, I don't know anymore. It's just this person doesn't have a way to deal with it properly, and so it becomes this giant weight that weights them down in life and opens them to these three sins. Whereas this person is able to trust God with the future and experience a freedom. And that freedom leads to internal peace. They can sleep at night. They can rest at night. By the way, two or three weeks ago, right here on this stage, I interviewed Joe and Lori Chatterton. You remember that? Remember what was going on in their lives? Her mother had died this past year. Their son had been involved in a fatal auto accident, in which another person was killed and, and, and there were ongoing uh, things in the court about that. And in the middle of all that, Joe lost his job that he had had for nine years. And you remember what his deal was? You know, we're praying, God has a plan. And you remember what Lori said just before she, she left? She said, by the way, we're sleeping well. Remember that? Okay, freedom and peace. Happy to tell you, Joe started a brand new job. Well, he's getting a job offer. How cool is that? So there you go. Confidence. So this is how we release care. It's not like we're naive and say, I don't give a rip. No, I just know. Well, take a look. I want to read you one other passage of Scripture. Paul writes and says, I know the one in whom I trust. Who would that be? That's Jesus, and and I am sure that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him until the day of His return. Does that sound confident? Very confident. All right, so that's how we release our uncertainty. Let's talk about repenting, because that's a whole different process. I want to read to you from Psalm chapter 32. It's a wonderful psalm of repentance, and it talks about the things that have to take place when we repent, okay? Release, I bow my head, I say, God, I trust you with this, I get up off of my knees, and I go out and live a life of trust. Now, here's repentance. Our God, you bless everyone who sins you forgive and wipe away. I want you to underline the word bless, very important word. You want to be blessed in life? I want to be blessed in life. I want to live a blessed life. How's that going to happen? Well, you bless them by saying, you told me your sins without trying to hide them, and now I forgive you. I want you to underline the phrase, you told me your sins. David writes, before I confessed my sins, my bones felt limp. Think he was struggling with guilt? What do you think? Yes. Yes. And I groaned all day long. You think he might have been struggling with shame? I think he was. Night and day, your hand weighed heavily on me. Why? Was God cursing him? No. If you know what David was talking about here, God hadn't even made a move yet. David felt like God's hand was heavy on him, but it was actually his own guilty conscience. My strength was gone as in the summer heat. So I confessed my sins And told them all to you. I want you to circle and underline the word all. I said, I'll tell the Lord each one of my sins. Then you forgave me and you took away my guilt. There are three things that have to take place in repentance. And I want to give them to you this morning. um, so So that you and I can deal with fear. We can deal with doubt and we can deal with anxiety by doing these three things, okay? The first one is this, confessing my sins. I want you to write four words under confessing my sins, ready? Number one is inventory. Last week we prayed that we would take an open and honest inventory of the weights and sins of our lives. Friends, I cannot inventory your life. Only you can inventory your life, okay? God doesn't need to inventory it. It's already, he already knows, right? You're the one who has to inventory. The second word is this, honest. Be amazed at how easily we can sort of just excuse away whatever it is that we feel justified in, in worrying about or being fearful of or doubting. Well, because it seems natural to us. So you gotta be honest. Number the third word is all. God's not really interested in you in confessing only the sins that you don't want to hang on to anymore. Okay? All. And the last is specific. I've prayed with guys who have a serious problem with either pornography or with adultery or other such things. And it's interesting to hear them pray, God, I come before you today. I acknowledge I have a little lust problem. Please forgive me. Friends, if you think that's going to get it done, no chance in the world. You know what David said? He said all, and he said each one in there, didn't he? Yeah. Okay? By the way, if you go to any 12-step program, if it has to do, if it's a 12-step program relating to alcohol, every person who speaks says, my name is such and such, and I am... I got a little problem in my life, Right? no, that's not what they say. I am an alcoholic. Because until you can bring yourself to actually acknowledge before God, and by the way, oftentimes before other people, what you really struggle with and call it what it really is, you'll just keep carrying it. That's the truth. Okay? So that's confessing my sins. Next. It's important that I receive God's forgiveness. You know why it's important that I receive God's forgiveness? Because I can tell you that peace doesn't come when God forgives you. Did you know that? Peace doesn't come in your life when God forgives you. When does it come? It comes when you receive God's forgiveness. I've known a lot of people in my life that God has forgiven, but they have never received it. They still walk in condemnation, they condemn themselves. And you know, as I was praying about this and God was speaking to me about the sermon, you know what he said? <laughs> if people don't receive my forgiveness, it really doesn't do them any good on this earth. They might as well be guilty because that's what they are. So it's important, number one, that I confess my sins, but number two, that I actually receive God's forgiveness and embrace it into my life. Because then that opens me to what the third thing is, and that's really, really important. And the third one is turning to new thought patterns and behaviors. Because you know the amazing thing is, if you think being forgiven and receiving God's forgiveness brings a freedom in your life, imagine the freedom that will come into your life when God actually changes your behavior. That's an even better piece. And that's what God wants us all to have and that's what real repentance is that's why david says blessed are those who have their sins forgiven now let's take a look at another chart that looks just like the other one only different labels all right and so this one we've got anxiety fear and doubt which are sins. And so what are we going to do with those? Well, on this side, we can either continue in them or on this side, we can repent. And what do we learn? If we stay on this side, what do we, what, what do we get? Well, we're going to get guilt because all sin brings guilt. And if you allow guilt to hang around long enough, it's going to bring shame. And if you allow shame to hang along, around long enough, it's going to bring condemnation. That's the natural progression. I feel guilty about what I did. I'm ashamed of what I did. And I even condemn myself for it. And I, and I know God will condemn me for it. On this side, what do you get? I take it to God. I get forgiveness. Forgiveness brings in me a sense of real gratitude. I'm grateful that God has forgiven me. And the gratitude gives me, it leads me to a place of real blessing from God. Now I'm not only free to receive God's blessing because I'm no longer dealing with a guilty conscience and self-condemnation, I actually have the ability to bless other people and to be a blessing to them interesting thing same sins okay same life different path if i choose this path i'm going to deal with it on my own i'm going to try to overcome it myself that's where it's going to lead me every time i go down this path and say god i give you my sin i repent of my sin i confess it to you i receive your forgiveness in my life and i pray that you would change and transform me leads to a whole different end it leads to blessing. As we close, I want to give you a statement that if you ever go to any form of recovery program, they're going to give you this statement. And there's a lot of truth in it. Here it is. You're only as sick as what? Your secrets. I know it's not easy to take a secret and bring it out into the open. And I can't tell you how many times I have sat and counseled Christian people who have been Christians for years, and they're carrying this secret. This behavior, they don't want anybody to know about. And they're afraid that people are going to find out about it. And so they keep everyone at arm's length and they never talk about it. And they hide that behavior. And it's got all sorts of ramifications in their life. And and they'll never have any real freedom until they decide it can't be a secret any longer. So we have a prayer. I want you to read it again. I put it. It's a different prayer this week. I, I put it on you know, the, the programs, and I want you to read it because we're going to read it out loud. And I don't want you to read it out loud again unless you mean every single word of it. Then please don't read it. I don't want you to come to church and lie to God and lie to me. All right. So we're going to read this prayer out loud. And and uh, so read it first. And then after you've read it, if you decide you want to pray that prayer and mean it, then we'll pray it together. If you're ready to read, let's read. Lord Jesus, you died so that I don't have to live with shameful secrets that tear me up on the inside and force me to live behind an image that I think others will like better. You died so I could be forgiven, changed, and blessed, so that I could live in freedom, peace, and confidence. Give me the grace this week to carefully inventory the anxiety, fear, and doubt in my life. As you reveal them to me, I will confess them to you and ask for your forgiveness. I will receive your forgiveness and embrace it into my life. And I will turn to you for new thought patterns and behaviors. I am so grateful that you are my Savior. I offer this prayer in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message.